Do you have like an intro or anything? Or are we? I'm gonna do it afterwards. I'm gonna record it afterwards, just depending on what we talk about. So then I'll know. You know. I don't say like hi or anything. Oh. Okay. Like waiting to like say hello. Hi. We're like just getting right into it. Yeah. All right. Fine. We can do it. I'll just let you restart. No, no. We can do it. We'll start now. We'll start. (laughs) Welcome, Courtney. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm good. Thanks. How are you, Sammy? I'm good. Yo, welcome to my summer lair. I am Sammy. It's so hard to be a saint in the city, Yunnan. For this episode, I bring you a thriller. First-time writer and director, though long-term actress, Courtney Page introduces us to... The Sinners. Seven schoolgirls, part of a snooty clique, is there any other kind, each named after one of the seven deadly sins. It's harder than a jawbreaker to get into that mean girls group. And this isn't just girls gone wild. This is girls gone riled. The craft of their cruel antics result in a young girl who goes milk cart missing, which in a small religious town you know, your basic Riverdale, has ripple effects. Cruel intentions, is there any other kind? Often do. One by one, each of the sins is permanently absolved by a mysterious mass killer. Is there any other kind? Do you want to scream out who the killer is? If you listen to what I've said, you realize I've said too much. Here's my conversation with Courtney Page about The Sinners, currently on many video-on-demand platforms as we speak. Also, we talk about the joy of doing social media for her dog. Oh, and of course, Sour Patch Kids. This is a tasty episode. Uh, Alright, so as somebody who's grown up in B.C., what is your L.A. experience like? Because L.A. nature and an L.A. environment is totally different than B.C. So how are you enjoying living in L.A. compared to living in B.C.? You know, it's a bittersweet feeling. I love being in down in Los Angeles. I love the weather. I love the opportunities. Um, it's been really good career-wise. But I'm such a B.C. girl at heart, and I do miss the mountains and the hikes and the people. So, you know, it has its perks, and it also has its cons. So, um you know, I, I love being down here, though. I've, I've been back and forth for five years, and I had my one for three years and just got my green card approved. Yay. So it's nice. It's a nice change of pace. Yeah, I was surprised that for the original title for The Sinners, it was the color rose, but you spell it color without a U. Yeah, we went the old American way. Yeah. Um, and then our sales agents and distributors just recently changed it to The Sinners for marketability purposes. Very wise. So you've primarily worked as an actor, which is, quote unquote, fairly easy, right? You show up, you hit your mark, uh, you say your lines, and then you go home. Um, but now you have kind of transitioning into being a director where you're now responsible for everything. So how was that transition? What is that responsibility like? 
You make acting sound so easy. I wish it was that simple. <laughs> um, actually, there's so much more that goes into acting. Like, you know, you eat, sleep and breathe the craft and there's so much going on mentally and so much prep work that you need to do. But um, the way you put it does sound nice. <laughs> but yeah, it's been a nice transition. I think there's like a lot that's led up to this point. I did photography and acting, grew up as a cheerleading coach. So I think a lot of that prepped me prior to directing and it's been a good shift. And I, I think I've definitely caught the directing bug and it's something that I want to primarily focus on career wise now. I, I did simplify acting, obviously, but like you alluded to it, it's all the prep work, <laughs> right? That kind of goes, in, both of them, both acting yeah. and directing. The successful day will depend on how much prep work you've done, like how much work you've put in, right? Totally. Does then, does each experience inform the other? So like being a director, does that make you a better actor? And are you a better director now because you're also been doing acting for a while? I think so. I think the two go hand in hand. You know, it's really nice being able to relate to actors and kind of empathize with where they're coming from. I think there's something to be said when you, you know, start as an actor and then you're very much like an actor's director where it's just performance just kind of feel the difference. I remember some of our cast saying like, oh, it's refreshing to be directed by someone who has an acting background. Um, but then there's also directors who are absolutely phenomenal, who went the other way and went to film school and they're very technical. And I think it shows in their work. So I think both are great. I think it's just, you know, there's two different ways of doing things. Actually, there's probably way more than two different ways, but yeah. um, I, I like the journey I've had so far. But one thing I would love to dive deeper into and get to know way more about is the technical side of things yeah it, there's a lot of things that you can kind of do and adapt um, to like make that vision come to life like <laughs> you said I was yeah. like simplifying like acting and I think sometimes too people think like the director just shows up all right two people are standing here I'll put the camera here and then I go make a sandwich but directing's got a lot more yeah. um, involved in in the type of decisions you're creative problem solving all day long basically yeah basically you're a creative problem solver <laughs> as a director though do you have any specific treats that you need to have on set like sour patch kids jelly bellies gummy worms especially because when you're shooting late at night right you need a little bit of sugar you need a little bit of kick so as a director what's your go-to treat to make sure that they're on set i would say a nice cotton candy bang energy goes a long way for me um i i especially when i'm writing kind of like i'm fueled off of those it's interesting because when I'm on set, I actually eat pretty healthy. And most of the time I'm so busy, sometimes I forget to eat. So when I'm on set, I in my last two features, at least I lost like 10, 12 pounds just shooting, but then you gain it all back in the edit. So I would say that <laughs> while we're editing, I'm more of like a candy muncher where we've got like the chips and the Sour Patch Kids. Sour Patch are my favorite. Um, so oh, I'm very much call. like a go, 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 too busy to snack on set. But then in the edit, that's where my weakness falls okay all right uh we will move from your weakness to some of the characters weaknesses uh because about 15 minutes into the sinners uh that one of the characters in the movie she says i've always had creepy feelings about her you know the people who claim they're all light and love and positive well they're usually the most broken so what is this movie about what is sinners about uh, the Sinners is about seven girls who form a cult where they embody the seven deadly sins. And when they realize there's more to their small religious town, they start going missing one by one. It's definitely a story uh, that shines a light on religion and 
LGBTs and LGBT storyline of the two girls who are very much in love and we shine a light on that and how it feels to be, you know, bullied and raised in sort of a religious strict confined uh, household and town. So there's a lot of key elements that go into the film. Um, I would say mainly it's about Grace and her struggle with her sexuality and um, her father kind of propels a lot of her rebellion by being so strict on her. And that's where she sort of falls into this, let's start a call, let's be good girls who do bad things. And they all kind of unfold. And I won't give away any spoilers, but you get the gist <laughs> of it. Yeah, I want to pick up on the thread of the religion for a little bit, because you have a bunch, you have a mishmash of stuff. You have like, obviously, the, the, the movie's called The Sinners. You have The Seven Deadly Sins. Uh, but you also have like phrases like worldly boy, right? Which is kind of associated with Jehovah's Witness. Uh, so it's like, oh, it's what? Oh yeah, it's, it's interesting you picked that. Oh yeah, are I you Jehovah's Witness? No, I'm not. Uh, but I have some friends who are, so I've heard the complaints. And it's the same thing. I have. I'm not Catholic either, but I've I have friends who are Catholic and went to Catholic school. They did the uniforms. The the girls did the uniforms and all that jazz. So. Just from like their complaining and their experiences, I could see where your film is coming from. So that's why I want to know, like, you have kind of a mishmash of, of Catholic and like Jehovah's Witness, just kind of a bunch of religious stuff. How did you approach the religious themes in the movie? Like, was there a certain commentary you want to make? Yeah, we did that on purpose as to not single out one religion. We didn't want to offend anyone. So we sort of made up this vague, a non-existent religion where it was in this town you don't really know what year it is. You don't really know what town it is. And the religion is not Christianity. It's not Catholic. You're right. There's some Jehovah's Witness biblical things in there. But I think we pulled from, you know, a combination of things and sort of created our own world in which the town and the girls live in, which I found quite unique. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that you picked up on the worldly boy comment. I think only a few people have caught that one. So kudos to you. That's interesting. Oh, okay. So do I win a prize of like Sour Patch Kids or something? Sure. Send me your address. <laughs> I'll mail you a big patch of, big, big bag of Sour Patch Kids. Oh, done. I will gladly get Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> and then you also mentioned too, like uh, you being a cheerleader and you, you wrote this story. So did being a cheerleader or that kind of experience of having like a gang of girls, basically, which is what cheerleading is, did that kind of influence or inspire the story at all? Yeah. You know, I was actually gang beaten in high school. And so when I'm you sorry. say gang, it's sort of, no, don't be sorry. You know, I think everything we go through kind of shapes us to who we are and the stories that we tell as artists. And, um, I'm grateful for my journey by no means am I a victim for what happened. But I think we wanted to shine a light on bullying and extreme circumstances, what happens, you know, especially with Aubrey's character. Um, but yeah, the girls are very much like an A-list girl, quick click squad. And I could relate to that definitely growing up on a cheerleading squad. And then I was the captain and coach for six years, but we weren't really a mean girls cheerleader cheerleading squad. We were, we were very nice and did a lot for the community and um, all the girls on our team were very humble and down to earth. So that was quite unique. And so we wanted to make the characters in the center similar in that regard where they're very relatable and come from a place of love and empathy. And, you know, they're, they're good girls, but then they start doing bad things. Yeah, so that place of love and empathy, um, I don't know how to phrase this. This is kind of corny, so I apologize. But, like, how was that kind of, like, I guess, feminine energy, right, being on set? 
I know there's a lot of other people in the cast, but the core cast is this group of girls, right? And you're the female director, so it's like it's basically you guys against everybody else, right? And so it's like, what was that feminine energy like, and and connecting with the other girls on set? I think it was great, feminine, you know, female or not. I just think that everyone had such a great bond. There was some incredible males on our project as well who really were supportive. And we were so lucky to have such a supportive team, um, especially my co-writer, Madison Smith. He's, you know, he's a male and Aaron Hazelhurst, she's a female. So we had a nice mix of everybody, but it was definitely like, female-driven film. There's seven female leads, a female director, two female co-writers, and this team of amazing rising female producers like Suzanne, Helia, Sienna, and Hannah. And um, I think just the team that we were surrounded by, especially on our first, was very rare to have that many people um, so passionate about the project and willing to just be brave and try things and really put a lot of work into it is something that I'm very grateful for. Was this a story that you wanted to tell? Again, as the writer, right? Was this something that's kind of like, was kind of echoing and jumping around in your mind for a little while before you kind of put it down to paper and kind of committed it to film? Actually, yeah. I, I Now that you say that, I came up with the idea seven years ago, but was single-handedly focused on my baby, which is called Neon Candy. And when we raised financing, I didn't want to do Neon Candy first because I wanted to save that one for later. And so when I when I said to the team, you know, I have this concept and how do you feel about it? And I pitched it to them and um, I sat down with Erin for coffee and asked her to join me in the writing room and she loved it. And so very quickly we were so inspired to go out and write this story and we felt it was one that was important to tell. And um, her and I single-handedly like finished the first draft within the month of December. Like we were so passionate wow. about it. We couldn't stop writing. I think the ending was written alone in like three days. It just like hit us like a ton of bricks. Um, and then we brought on Madison who was so brilliant with the twists and turns that he came up with and he changed who the killer was. Again, I won't give away any spoilers, mm -hmm. but uh, he thought of a brilliant ending and we were like, yes, we have to do that. So right before picture, we like completely changed everything with the end and the killer. And it was so, so interesting. We actually didn't even tell some of our investors. We surprised them in the <laughs> The theater when they watched it in the cast and crew screening and they were like oh I was so shocked like I did not see that coming mm -hmm. so it was really fun to you know do it that way and have creative free freedom and control whereas when you're working with a studio that doesn't always happen so again we were so grateful for that experience and just having the opportunity to play and try things and get out there and create is is a wonderful experience yeah you you said Every, every experience you've had is part of your journey. And I think sometimes, too, doing a couple of films like this up front before you'd really do Neon Candy would be a good way to kind of like figure out your shorthand, how you want to work, how you want to direct, that kind of stuff, so that when you are ready to do Neon Candy, you just execute it. Totally. I think a lot of learning has come into play. You know, I just directed my second feature so Neon Candy will likely be my third, um, but we have another called Croquet that's sort of circulating. So it depends which one we're going to do first. But um, yeah, it's interesting. I think I learn a lot through each film. The first film taught me to have a lot of compassion and empathy and, you know, 
let go of control and be a collaborator. And the second feature taught me, you know, don't wear so many hats, don't stress yourself out, don't be doing, you know, writing, producing, directing, running to the bank, dealing with financing. It's just too hard. So on my third feature, which hopefully will be a neon candy, I really just want to focus on the directing aspect and the creative elements and just sink my teeth into something that everyone will be so proud of and make a masterpiece that, you know, wins festivals and I think the hope that we had with the color rose, which is now formally known as the sinners um, or is formally going to be known as the sinners. We hoped, you know, of course, like uh, we wanted to get into TIFF and do these crazy wild things. And um, when it didn't, we were kind of all a little bummed, but it did have many wins. You know, we got into Mammoth. We won Best Feature uh, at Catalina. Caitlin won Best Actress at Newmark. We were nominated for five Leo Awards. Um, So so we're very fortunate. Yeah. It did really well. So, you know, it'll be fun to kind of continue on and see what we can do with the third one. Hopefully, knock on wood, hopefully Sundance or TIFF or something would be like so exciting. That's one of my biggest goals is to get into a major festival with a feature as a director. Oh, that is a good goal. It's interesting because a lot of the films that are associated with the sinners, uh, like Jawbreaker, Heathers, those are not quote unquote commercial hits, right? But they've gone on to become called classics. When you were writing the story, were you thinking about, quote unquote, viable commercial aspects, I guess, for lack of a better term? Because it's interesting with an indie movie, like you want to make something that connects with a large audience, but you don't always have access to a large audience. So sometimes it can be difficult. Totally. You know, I have a family who has a very entrepreneurial type background and several of my producers have actually said it's rare to have a director who also thinks with a business mindset. So when I'm thinking about writing, I kind of like inevitably have this commercially viable style of writing where I kind of know like, okay, is this marketable? Would people want to watch this? Like, what is the target audience here? And I think like that's something unique, whereas most artists are just, you know, writing for the love of it and the craft. And of course I do that too, but there's gotta be an element where you're creating something that's safe for your investors. I would never want to set out to make something where I could put an investor's money at risk. And I think dabbling in the thriller horror genre, especially when you don't have bankable names, it's just the safest way to go. Um, It's very, very challenging to get a drama to sell unless you have a star name attached. So I kind of know, you know, our parameters and where we should play within, especially with the budgets that we're working with. Yeah. It's show business, right? Like, so. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. Yeah, thank you. Um, but yeah, but part Show of business. Yeah, right? Show and tell. Right. Yeah. But yeah, and part of that markability is the masks that the girls wear. Because, like, again, that's a great, like, signifier for, like, those kind of horror movies. Like, we've seen that with, like, Tragedy Girls. We've seen that Scream has a fantastic mask, right? The Ghostface Killer. What was Oh, your, yeah. Right? They're iconic. Yeah. And so the, the girls have some great masks in the movie, um, The Seven Deadly Sins. So... What was the mask process like? How did you kind of figure out the mask and like, is this creepy or not creepy? Like, <laughs> what was the, the the challenge like to get the good masks? You know, actually, my sister created the masks. She did all of our costume design and she single handedly painted each mask um, from scratch. And when she showed them to me, 
I didn't have any changes. I saw them and I said, these are perfect. And we hope that people will wear them and they'll be cosplay costumes. And we were so proud of her. She did an incredible job. Yeah, she did. Yeah. Give her, give her a shout out. Give her a name so people can like, yay. Yeah. Her name's Madison Moore. So she goes by one sec. There's dog barking. Um, just want to ask me that again. That'd be great. <laughs> but what's the name of the dog first though? Uh, my dog's name is Honey. She's a six-pound toy golden doodle. Okay. And uh, what's the name of yeah. your sister? So people can be like, yeah, because like, like I said, it's really cool. The, the masks are noticeable, right? So they stand out. So what's the name of your sister who created the masks? Yeah, her name's Madison Moore. She goes by Maddie McKaylee on Instagram, and she's quite the little stylist. So I think she definitely has a big career ahead of her. And again, this is what you're talking about, too, with like being a family and like understanding hustling and business and stuff like this like it, it must be nice to work with somebody like your sister where you can have a shorthand and kind of be able to better communicate your vision of what you want yeah definitely uh we had a lot of help from my family which is really amazing of them they all came out and were so supportive my mom did all of the set deck and art design and she brought her airstream and you know, just brought in so many favors. And it was really nice to have that sense of community on the film. Um, a good friend of mine, Kevin Mosley, was our production designer. He actually wrote the film Suspension, which is another great horror film that I played a supporting lead in early in my career. So we were very fortunate to have like people very close and near and dear to our hearts come out and just put like their everything into the film. So I'm a dude. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm a guy. So I <laughs> correct my interpretation, right? But I find it sexy good fun when a good girl does something bad. Like, it's really playful and kind of gives her a little bit of depth. Is it a similar interpretation from the female point of view? Or is there some sort of, like, something else kind of going on? It's interesting that you say that. I mean, I try to stylize things, not sexualize them. I think it's interesting how men think and women think. There's a reason they say men are from Mars and women are from Venus. Mm -hmm. I Women have a way of portraying strong female characters, whereas I find men want to make them broken and vulnerable. And subconsciously or consciously, who knows, it's a power struggle, I find. Whereas women don't need the power. They just, in my opinion, already have it. So um, I think, you know, we had a lot of powerful females on this project and just the way that they kind of played their characters with so much love and empathy and compassion just speaks for itself. And honestly, I have to give all of the credit to our cast because everybody just put so much work in and it really shows. So I don't tend to think like, oh, men and women, you know, I just try to think like human, like, is this relatable in a human sense without offending anyone? That's interesting. Yeah. Sometimes also just fun to be bad too, right? Like sometimes you follow the rules, right? Everybody walks the sidewalk because that's the path that's laid out for everybody, right? And so you know where the sidewalk goes, you know what direction you're going in and it, it's fine and it keeps you safe. But every now and then it's kind of nice to like walk on the road or do something a little bit crazy or go off the path, right? Yeah, I think it depends. Like they say like strict parents create sneaky children. And I think when you have an authoritative figure who's constantly telling you like, stay on the sidewalk, stay on the sidewalk, like the more they say that it makes you want to go like, no, I want to walk in the middle of the road, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it's interesting to say that like the more sheltered you are, the more kind of curious you are about 
worldly things and doing bad things. I think when your parents or whoever, you know, is raising you, give you a lot of freedom, it sort of makes you feel like you don't need to rebel as much. At least that's my opinion. Fair enough. And so The Sinners will be released February 19th, which is also interesting because there was a movie Jawbreaker that came out in 99 uh, around the same time, right? Yeah, exact same day. I actually found that so iconic and interesting that our distributor, um, who is Michelle Swartzen from Brainstorm, she's phenomenal. She's put so much love and time into the film's release and she's just so brilliant and it's been a joy working with her. Um, she actually, I need to ask her, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but The Sinners will release on February 19th and Jawbreaker released on February 19th of 1999. So it's really cool to have the film come out on such an iconic day. And I'm a big fan of Darren Stein and Jawbreaker and it was a huge inspiration for the movie. So we're really excited about that. For anybody who hasn't seen Jawbreaker, uh, do you want to just give a little snapshot of what the movie is? Because uh, it was 1999, yeah. so it's a while back. Jawbreaker is about three best friends, and they, well, there's four best friends, but then there's three um, because <laughs> they go to pull a prank on the one girl for her birthday, and they put a jawbreaker in her mouth and gag her and pretend to kidnap her to do this birthday prank. And then when they open the trunk, she's unfortunately dead. So then they try to cover it up. And it's this story of them taking this new girl who's very meek and shy and making her popular and, you know, has a lot of similar elements to the Sinners and Heathers and Mean Girls and all of those 90s cult classics that we love so much. Yeah. All right. So where can people find you online to uh, see more of your cinematic adventures? Um, your dog makes some cameos on your IG. Where can people find you? She does. She has her own Instagram as well. Okay. As funny as that is, I'm one of those. Yeah. I'm one of those people who create social media for their dog. That's me. Okay. Um, so maybe when I start working more, I won't have time for that. But right now, I still do. Uh, but you can find me on Instagram. My handle's at Courtney Page. And there's two eyes because, unfortunately, Courtney Page was taken. So, yeah, Courtney Page with two eyes. And then we also have one. It's at The Sinners Movie. And then our production is Globetrotter underscore pictures. And the dog's IG? Honey Doodle. <laughs> That's an important one, too, isn't it? <laughs> Honey, I think it's about honey. three O's. Yeah, it's honey doodle. <laughs> All right. Are you reading anything cool these days or new books or poetry or anything like that? Actually, yeah, I'm reading this book right now called Becoming Supernatural. It's uh, it's written by a doctor and he's so familiar. Um, you know, everything that he says is kind of like things that I've been studying for the last 10 years about spirituality and sort of vibrational frequencies and energies and how to heal trauma. So I really love kind of like self-help books and books on psychology. So it's interesting. I read more like real life things versus fiction. So what about you? Are you reading anything? Yeah, I actually just finished, um, sorry, I haven't texted you back, a poetry book by Alicia Cook. Um, I don't know if you've read her or not. I love poetry books. That's oh. interesting. I saw Lily Reinhardt came out with a poetry book as well called Swimming Lessons. So I wanted to check that out too. Okay, so we both have homework then. I'll, I'll pass you on uh, a couple other Alicia Cook books. And it was funny because I was just reading it and because researching some of the stuff for you and for your life, um, some of the stuff you said now, like she writes a lot about trauma, dealing uh, with that healing and just people not understanding what she was kind of like going through. You know what I mean? Like, um, it's a thing like everybody go, everyone has some sort of hidden pain. And so, but we don't always have the, the words or the ability to express it. 
right? Yeah. And so it's like it's, it's like when you go to the mechanic, right? And you know your car is making a little brr, 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 brr sound, and it should be making that brr, brr, brr sound, but you don't know how to explain to the mechanic what it is. So you sound like an idiot. And that's Alicia Cook is good at like translating pain in that sense so that it's clear so that everyone kind of kind of understand where she's coming from she doesn't sound like she's talking to a mechanic i definitely have to check that out i love that so much well i will mail you some sour patch kids oh wow okay then now we're talking actually forget the books let's go back to the sour patch kids and thank you for having me for their question (laughs) yeah no thank you uh this was fun you did a great job with the movie so congratulations you said you're working on a second film or a follow-up film i know this one is just coming out, but when is the second film or what, what is the process like for the second film? Where are you guys at with that? Yeah, I'm supposed to keep it under wraps right now. We shot it in Utah in October and Arclade's going to be doing a press announcement during Berlin for it. So you can find out more there. Um, honestly, I can't say too much, but mm-hmm. I will say the film is called Chapel and we're in production so people can stay tuned for that one and then we have two back-to-back that we're packaging right now called neon candy and croquet so i'm really excited for those two yay that's really cool high five yeah all right uh we're done well we covered quite a bit courtney we covered sour patch kids we covered that the sinners (laughs) um has uh, a mix of uh, worldly boy jehovah's witness and catholic stuff we covered the masks um, and that uh, it opens on the same day, February 19, as Jawbreaker did back in 1999. That's about it, right? We covered quite Thank a bit. So yeah, Amazing. Thank you, Sammy. Well, send me everything and I'll be happy to share it once it comes out. Perfect. Thank you so much for your patience and for your grace, ironically. See what I did there? Thank you so much, Sammy. Have a good day. Yo, that was writer, actor, and director Courtney Page talking about her movie, The Sinners. I am Sammy Yunan. From the Kanye West classic clique, Jay-Z's lines include, We top of the totem pole. It's the dream team meets the supreme team. You know, I'm surprised the Sins didn't put that on their business cards. Or did they? See for yourself, The Sinners is out on VOD. Your platform your choice. I'm grateful I got to talk to Courtney about Sour Patch Kids. Do you have a favorite gummy candy? Share it with me, sadly, not literally, on social media. My pal Sammy is my personal handle, and my summer layer is for the show. For all three, my pal Sammy for Twitter, IG, Facebook, my summer layer, Twitter, IG, Facebook. I gotta say, Sour Patch Kids are excellent. Lately, I've been hankering for Cherry Blasters. So yeah, share your sweet sins on social media. Thanks so much for listening to me in the Netflix world. Grace, yo.